time for another edition of Tennis.com's weekly podcast. And here's your host, James Martin. All right, welcome to the Tennis.com podcast, uh, the clay court edition. James Martin here, as always, with Pete Bodo. And welcome back, Steve Tigner. We uh, have our third mic, our first mic working again, so the... Uh, the three, the three amigos are back in the saddle, as it were. Now we can start fighting. <laughs> That's right. So a uh, big weekend for Rafael Nadal, guys. Uh, wins his first tournament in about a year, more or less. Um, only lost 14 games in Monte Carlo. Absolutely crushed Verdasco as countrywoman, a countrywoman, a countryman. Uh, love and won. He actually beat basically the Davis Cup team. He beat Juan Carlos Ferrer. Um, and he also beat uh, David Ferrer. And then Verdasco on his way to the title. Just looked completely dominant. Verdasco did not have a good final, let's be honest. It was a combination of the two. But your impressions have to be that, that uh, you know, Nadal is back, and he, he, looked, he looked great. Yeah, you could um, – I mean, you can say that he didn't play any of the really top players. He didn't play Federer. Djokovic was in the draw, but he didn't play him. He didn't play Soderling. Didn't We're play talking the, top players. Didn't, didn't play – well, he, you know, the guy who <laughs> beat him at the French Open last year. But, right. but the point is that Nadal was playing – he was playing his best clay court tennis, and – and that's that's good enough to beat anybody, any of those guys as well. And he 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 never looked like he doubted that he was going to win the tournament. I thought even even early in the couple of the matches, there there were a couple. I think one match might have went to three all in the first set. He never never appeared to me that he had any any of the doubts that he's had that were apparent um, over the course of the last year. It just shows how confident he is when he gets to clay. He particularly likes Monte Carlo. It is amazing because it, there was a point that Steve and I were talking about at the beginning of that match where um, Verdasco was, I think, two love in the first set, and Verdasco had a volley and into open court. Instead, he went back cross court. Adal was sitting on the backhand side, way off the court, and he, he could have hit an easy passing shot down the line because Verdasco was all the way over to the other side, and Nadal decides to go cross court again. One of the best, most amazing passing shots I've ever seen, and you wouldn't have seen that even uh, as well as Nadal was playing in, in, in March on the hard courts of Indian Wells and Key Biscayne, you wouldn't see that from him on those surfaces like you do on clay. It's just like, just click. He just changes. Yeah, there's a simple word, I think. It's called payback. You know, the guy's been sitting around for 11 months hearing people say he's, he's shot, his knees are bad, he can't play. You know, he's, you know, he, now, of course, you know, as the months went by, it became he hasn't won a tournament in five months, in, nine, in, in seven months, in nine months, in 11 months. So meanwhile, he's sitting back thinking, well, you know, this is going to be, you know, come European clay court season one year after the disaster of last year with the bad knees and stuff, and it's going to be time to get back on track. You know, you could sort of see this coming from a mile away unless you really had a hate on for Nadal. I mean, I think, you know, really, you look at the way the guy's played, even in some of those hardcore events and stuff, and you know he's primed and ready. And, you know, he's getting to that stage in his career where he, too, is going to pace himself. I mean, and I mean, Steve Verdasco, he's, Verdasco's never beaten a doll. He's 0-10, so I guess you can't, couldn't have expected a great match in that final, but it was a, I mean, Verdasco No, just he didn't play, play he didn't well. play well. Rafa was in, was in buddy control, tennis. but... Um, well, I know, but Verdasco was upset. Buddy tennis, little buddy Verdasco was there, and Rafa just... <laughs> little lefty buddy, yeah, but they did play one... Well, Australia. Well, one great match in Australia, but this was the fir- I was amazed. This was the first semifinal or final of a Masters tournament that Verdasco's even made. Yeah, whatever that indicates. I he didn't have a good final, and he was he was pretty angry throughout the whole thing and very, you know, openly frustrated. But but just one more thing on the Dawes is his reaction at the end. He you know he he was in tears at the end at the end of winning a tournament that he just won for the sixth straight time, which is it shows that this. I mean, all these tournaments and all these matches mean a lot to him, and he always takes the time out to to show that but but this really meant a lot after the last 10 months what's happened to him and in his life and in his um and 
and career-wise? Well, he's going into the French, and he knew, and, and, and he was pretty honest about it, Pete. I mean, Nadal said he going into the French, if he really is going to have a chance to get back his title there, he needs to at least win one of these clay court warm-ups, just for confidence. I mean, even yeah. the best players in the world need to have that victory here and there just to let them remind them that, hey, I'm still the top guy. He didn't waste any time getting it, did he? So, you know, I mean, no. look, the handwriting's on the wall. If I were... You know, I wrote something at ESPN the other day when, you know, imagine a bunch of guys sitting around a room, you know, looking at each other fearfully saying, you know, here we are in Monte Carlo and Nadal is in the draw. And really, you know, sort of came to pass. He just, you know, he was out there basically kicking butt and taking names. Which is going to make everyone in Barcelona feel very happy because Nadal just announced just right before we, we came here to record this that he's pulled out of Barcelona. And I was looking at the schedule, guys. I, I think this is a... Um, he pulled out just for the record just because he basically said he was tired and his, my body's asking for a rest. But I think it's a great move because if you look at the, the schedule, he has you have Rome right after that, which is a Masters Series event, and then Madrid in May. And if he were to play Barcelona and then Rome, and then if there was pressure for him to show up in Madrid in the middle of May, he's got the same problem as he had last year, which is just playing too much clay court events going into the French. I think this gives him the flexibility to say, okay, I'll play Rome do the best there, can get another week off. And then if he wants to play Madrid and then get a week off before the French, it, to me, this is a, a pretty smart move for Nadal, just looking at his schedule going into the, to the French Open. Well, now he, can, now he can play Madrid and not feel conflicted about it the way he did last year. He, right. That was, I think he knew it was one tournament too many. Now he, he won't have to feel that way. And he better be on guard because, you know, in Madrid with that altitude and stuff and, and the nature of that court, Federer is going to be, if, if Federer is going to be tough, He's going to be a real tough opponent for him, which he wouldn't be anywhere, basically. He's going to be especially tough at, at Madrid. You know, one of the things is, you know, Nadal, really, if you look at it in a big picture, you look at his whole career, he's kind of been a provincial guy. He comes out of Mallorca. He's got this crazy style. You know, he's, you know, he, you know, he, it isn't like he was made to be out on a world tour and, you know, you know, got his, got his sea legs under him and had everything figured out. I think he was overcommitted all these years. And you know what? He's a nice kid. Right. He likes these tournaments. He likes playing on clay just gorged on it and, and I think he's starting to realize that you know you just can't overcommit you know right. the, the guy in Barcelona he said nice things about that tournament I'm sure he means him I'm sure he I'm likes sure he it means it but he's finally waking yeah. up and, and and I was thinking when I was watching him beat Verdasco yesterday um, he's made all these millions and you know when you see Federer you know you can kind of see Federer get caught up in the, the limo lifestyle, enjoying the champagne, and really buying into the images. He's Roger Federer. And I was thinking, what, is, what does Rafa do with all this money he's making? And I, I feel like he just goes home, probably goes fishing, goes to the beach, hangs out, maybe plays some video games and golfs, and has probably not fundamentally changed his life. And he goes to Uncle Tony and says, do I have enough money to buy a pair of fancy lucky jeans? <laughs> and Tony probably says, no, you know, wear regular jeans. You know, who do you think you are, kid? I mean, it is so what's, what's funny about it, though, you say he's overcommitted, and, and he did play too much tennis, but he he hardly, he barely plays any tournaments that aren't mandatory. Barcelona was one of the really the few, and maybe Queens and Rotterdam that he didn't have to play. So just the amount of matches that he wins week to week makes him makes it over. And, and his the way style, his the style way of play. Yeah. yeah, and it's special in the spring because it's a, you know it's a spring European circuit. I think you're you know you're right about that. We don't we don't see the guys not all over the place in the summer and a hard court circuit and stuff. That's sort of a little bit his well, off two, time mo- in a way. Two, two events in Spain. I mean, Clay. I mean, it is a, it is a pull. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's basically his bread and butter has always been there, but now his bread and butter is on a much bigger level, so he doesn't really need those tournaments. And he's left in his wake in Barcelona. Now the top seed will be Soderling, who obviously beat Nadal at the French. You've got Song in there, Fernando Gonzalez, Verdasco, Burdich, Ferrer, David Ferrer. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's not going to be as, as exciting of a match. We don't have any... Andy Murray, he was he was offered a wild card. He denied it. He's just going to go. He is in Barcelona. Yeah, he's played too many matches lately, right? <laughs> well, he, 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 I think he realized he said he's in Barcelona this week, but he's just going to have 
uh, a strong practice week, basically. I mean, I don't know if you see that, Steve, where he's, uh, yeah. he didn't want to play. I saw that he traveled practice. there, but just to practice for whatever reason. Maybe not a bad move. I don't know. I, he, only he knows, but he, he's got issues. Djokovic isn't playing either. Um, he had his worst loss uh, when he lost to Verdasco. Two and two in, uh, in Monte Carlo. Worst loss, they said, since in games-wise, uh, when he lost to uh, Safin in the 05 Australian Open, Pete. So Djokovic is, uh, seems to be bottomed out. Yeah, you know, it looked like he was making a little bit of a resurgence there, and he probably is. But you know, you, you know, you fall. You know, Murray's going to face this thing too. You know, after he loses a couple of early round matches, you know, especially if he doesn't get on track real quick, suddenly if you go two or three matches, you think, hey, you know, I've got this figured out, and then you come up a little bit short when it comes down to the important matches, the tough matches, semis and semis and finals and stuff. So you know, these guys really have to get. It's so important to keep that rhythm going. To to you know, play four matches three matches someplace and you know not feel like hey you know I had a good week or or I'm doing great you know considering the fact that I was out first or second round the past four times but, but so, also Djokovic I mean he was you, you watch him play he wasn't playing bad right I, I mean, wouldn't say I wouldn't say that he's he bottomed out at this tournament he looked better than he did in Indian Wells and Key Biscayne he just what it shows to me is that he'll he's he is again the guy who's going to have a bad day here and then he's not and he's not going to get himself out of it he's he, no. he's going <laughs> to he, he kind of gave in to what he thought of as, as a bad day, whether it was physical or mental, probably a combination of both, which is, which is typical for him, nerves and, and some sort of breathing physical issues that who knows you know, where one starts and where one ends. But he, he, didn't, bother, he didn't fight his way out of it, and I, I think that's, that's, just, that's typical for him and, and will continue to be. I yeah. really want to see like a French Open final with Djokovic in the final against Nadal. <laughs> five, so, I, mean, just the I drama, can't breathe. I can't just, breathe. Just He's up two drama. sets. That would be that would just for the theater of it. I would yes. pay, I would pay to watch that on pay per view just to see that. He's become he's becoming the master showman. Really, yeah, he's good tours. theater. He is good theater. <laughs> it's <laughs> kind of funny though because he's such a serious. You know, you see him in a press conference or something. You know, he sits there and you you know you think you're talking like to the you know head of the UN subcommittee on on uh, you know children's rights and on on the subcontinent of India. You know, he's like very very presidential and he talks and. Uh, you know, in a real somber tone and all this other stuff. But, you know, they put him on a court, and it's all, <laughs> it's just it's great. So on the other side of it, we had the WTA tour in uh, Charleston, among other places, and the injuries keep happening, guys. Um, Wozniacki had to retire. They lost Azarenka, Bartoli, um, Japan's Morita. That's on top of obviously Sharapova's still out. Serena's still out. She's partying, as as you guys were mentioning coming into this. But I just find it very ironic that, or I don't know if ironic's the right word, but certainly the WTA made changes to its schedule a couple of years ago. They have shortened the season. They did what the men couldn't. They, they finally took e- – everyone's been saying for years, you got to shorten the season, got to shorten the season. They do that. It's not made a lick of difference. The yeah, players are still getting hurt left and right and center. This has to be, this has to be a disappointing time of the year for the WTA because these are the tournaments that they, that they run and that they want to make stronger. Thing, place, tournaments like Charleston, obviously um, Key Biscayne and Indian Wells, they tried to make you – know, they made them mandatory in that – sort of worked but it's tournaments like charleston the next tier down and and as they go forward in rome that they they want to boost because those those tournaments have had have a much lower have had a much lower profile in the last few years because of the withdrawals and even you know it seemed like last year at the end of the year that they successfully made the the, the tour shorter and the same things the same thing has happened here's a is question there, is there for you boys though uh 
No, I don't think there is, but you know, it kind of a little bit ties into what I was going to say. But here's a question for you: What? Uh, where is the great clay court player among the women tennis players? I was thinking about this the other day. You know what? You don't have a great clay court player anymore. Ergo, you don't have a dominant well, player. I mean, you well, could, you could get hammered for not saying Hannah. Well, yeah, but I mean, you mean somebody who dominates we don't know recent surfaces. history, though. Right. No, but absolutely. Right, she's right. got the best record. But even her, if you look at her, she doesn't play a classic clay court no, game. No, she doesn't. Yeah. She doesn't play that classic, consistent, Arantxa mentally tough, emotionally right. strong. Was Arantxa, Arantxa the last one? Yes. And yeah. all the great players, with the exception of Navratilova, all the players who have dominated have been built their empires on clay, kind of. So it's a very unusual situation among the women. And women are now playing a more diverse, stylistically different game than the men. The men are now where the women were 10 years ago, where you had wait, wait, the really wait. solid guys, the really solid guys are dominating. Really, they're playing one-size-fits-all style. Verdasco plays pretty much the same on, on, on all courts, so oh, it's an adult. So basically, but the women have all, you know, look, at, I mean, the fact they had Stozer and Zvonareva, one of them is this, you know, erratic shot maker, and the other one's this attacking player in the final at Charleston. Granted, the top women weren't there, but, you know, I mean, it, it really is kind of interesting. There's no great women's clay court player around. No, the top men play well on all the surfaces. Federer won the French Open last year. Djokovic has been to the semis. Murray does well on it. Nadal does well on hard court. So I think it's, I think there's truth to that with both tours. Um, as far as the Charleston, I was, you know, you had to be impressed by Stoser yesterday. She's always been, like you said, very erratic and has has more game than she's shown. But but now at 26, if, if you go by, she made the semis at the French Open last year, and um, and really. Blue, you know, destroyed Von Arabi yesterday with a, a ton of winners, ton of very blatant winners. You have to look at her as somebody who who could do something in the clay court season. I, I like watching her, Pete. I mean, she she's she does attack and she's she's got a different game. Uh, I don't know if I buy the variety uh, argument you're making about the women playing varied games, but I do agree that she's one of the the few that that really does come out and plays a unique game. And and I, you know, even if some of the top players were there, I mean, you got to like her. Her ability, you know, even when you come into the French, she's going to put pressure on these players to come up with passing shots, lobs, or whatever, and that can be tough to deal with on break points. It, you know, fortune always favors the brave, they say, and she plays a pretty brave style of tennis. Well, hey, Zvonna Raven stows her on clay. He's the equivalent of Marty Fish playing Roddick Stepanek on clay. Right. And, cool. you know, that's unusual. That's really unusual, and it shows you, you know, something about the women's game, and I think that sort of tangentially says something about the men's game, too where the men's game just doesn't have the, you know, there's, there's a kind of a one-style-fits-all mentality in men's tennis. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. Right, right, right. I mean, there's great tennis being played. But, you know, these guys are good on all surfaces. The game, the style they play travels surface to surface. Everything is calm. The women, you, the top women, it's shocking how bad they are on clay. I mean, you know, it's, it's Serena just, on clay, Maria Sharapova yeah. on clay. I mean, you know, and, and 10 years ago, the, all the top women, you could bet that the top three, four women, all of them were first and foremost clay court players. Well, well it's true. Uh, Kim... One thing that is true with that is Kim Kleisters came up as a clay quarter. She made the finals of the French when she was younger. Now she says it's her worst surface. I don't, I don't know if I buy that she can't play on it anymore, but she's almost turned herself into a hard-court, fast-surface player over the years. Yeah. It, it, it is, that is a great uh, observation. And, and Serena also, she's not the most graceful mover. She's fast. She's athletic. She's explosive. She should do well on clay. She shouldn't have a problem with it. Um, Maria, I could see having a problem with the stopping right. and starting and the sliding. She's... You know, that does seem to be a liability for someone like her, but... Um, hey, know. Venus ought to be great on clay, too, I think. You know, with that wingspan, the way she could run, if she can keep that ball in place, she gets a lot of air under the ball. Nobody ought to be able to run, outrun that girl. It, it's it's, I mean, I think what you're saying is mainly Serena and Venus, though, the Americans, 
Right? Well, no, Which Kim is too. Typical. I mean, look, Kim, Kim, Kim has, you know, Kim hasn't won the French Open, you know, and she's won, you know, two other majors. Uh, there's no, um, you know, there's, I think she has, you know, uh, Justine, I think, you know, it's kind of interesting. No question, she's a great, great court player but she won those partly on emotion which doesn't detract from what she did or anything but you certainly wouldn't call her as having a signature clay court game because you think about the mental but toughness the combined though, with right? the consistency movement her movement is terrific you know she's a fine fine player right. on any surface but you know she hasn't won it since her hiatus so we're going to see if if she can hold up and, and have that consistency i mean i think when you grow up on hard courts like the williams sisters did i you know when you move to clay it's just yeah, such that's a the that's the main difference is yeah. is the Serene and Venus from hard courts to clay. They're just, unlike Federer, who seems to be able to... they used to play well on clay. Well, that was also they when they first came up, and they were very much more, I think, more, more of an intimidating factor, and, the, and, and they were younger, they and final, they were better. Right. You know? One final for between the two of them, is that right? They played one final. Two, oh, they played one final against each other, you mean? Yeah. And Serena won right. one. Yeah, Venus Serena won. won. I, I think, I don't think... Venus, I don't think, has won the French, but I think Serena's won it a couple times. She's right? won it once. 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 She won it okay, during the yeah, Serena right. Slam in 0203. Right. But, I mean... Uh, well, now she's not. But I just don't think she's got the movement. I don't think she plays enough, frankly, I, You know, to really be good on clay and to win those, no. to grind those matches. Because right. these girls can grind, too. A lot of these women can really grind. Right. So, you know, I, you know I, but I just... You also don't feel like... You don't get the sense that their hearts are in it, in a way. And, you know, that's okay, but... Perhaps. I, I think clay court tennis, I'll re- re- revive this when we hit the hard courts in Cincinnati. I'm telling you... We need to go to all clay. <laughs> I think it just makes better tennis. Even in that final yesterday, the, the point construction and what it goes on in those courts is so much more appealing to me than hardcore tennis. The points are much different in men's tennis, but I, I don't think they're that much different in on clay and women's tennis. Right. It seems like the same. they're playing essentially the same game. So you keep Some it the same for women and you make it better for the men. Yeah. So One woman that uh, got a lot of interest uh, last week, Pete and Steve, uh, on Twitter as a ranka. She uh, retired and people were accusing her, at least she was perceiving things, and she dropped the F-bomb on her Twitter account, which caused a stir, certainly, in these offices. Um, no one's advocating that you should go around swearing on your Twitter page. She was also out today cursing that she's stuck in Chicago because of the volcanic ash. She was can't she get, cursing? Oh, she wasn't cursing literally, no. but she was cursing. Uh, cursing she was, fate. She was saying, you know, oh, damn, I'm stuck in Chicago. I'll, I'll just have to live here. She was obviously, I think she was tongue-in-cheek at that point. But, um well, if, if, if Azarenka could just win some tournaments and, and take that next step, she here's someone that's just refreshing. I mean, she says what's on her mind. She doesn't sugarcoat it. She's not been through the – she doesn't sound like she's been through any media training. <laughs> she's just out there blasting away. She slept through the class. Uh, it's great, right? Uh, yeah. So, go, go ahead, Steve. Steve. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> Here we go. Jinx. Uh, no, I mean, I think – yeah, it, it is great. But, I mean, she's – you know, her her, her – her failure to play a little more consistently, I think, has been a little bit disappointing. She, ought, she is a player who ought to be very good on clay, but you know, you're looking at even to Safina, for instance, who was very good on clay, except couldn't close a deal at big tournaments. You know, Azarenka, I think, is you know has got the potential. You, know, you get the sense with some of this stuff that she's been saying and posting that she's getting she's getting a real hate on. She's getting mad, this girl, and and I think I think she's got the potential to really you know have a big spring. Yeah, sometimes I like to watch her play. I really liked watching her at the Australian Open. She played a I thought a great match, even though she lost to Serena. And other times she's so intense and you know over intense and almost so easily frustrated that she can i find her difficult to enjoy watching it depends on i don't know it depends on this sometimes i really sometimes i like it and sometimes i don't and i think that some her intensity helps her and and definitely um detracts from her game and and hurts her at times she she can't let things go and i mean I, overall she gets bothered very easily by things she does so I, I don't know i have mixed feelings about her but she'd be great for women. I mean, she's the kind of injection that women's tennis could really use as far as just 
giving us some excitement, a player to either root for or root against, to love her or, or hate. And I could see a lot of people not liking her. But You um, don't think Serena does enough of that? Well, she doesn't play enough. She, she shows up at the majors, two other tournaments. That's not, that doesn't sustain the tour. I th- we need someone that's going to be, right? I mean, week in, week out is going to be a lightning rod and actually play tennis on a fairly regular basis. That's what, that's what you need. It's what you might have in Azarenko, but the only thing is she's got to win, and she's not winning. And she's not winning, and that's the final word with uh, this week's edition of the podcast. We will hope to be back later this week. Pete's got a trip to uh, – where are you going? You're going to interview John Isner, Tampa, right? yeah, John Isner. So there we go. It'll that's be a couple-day trip. a good time right? down in Saddlebrook. Yep, I'll All be right. back probably late Wednesday night if – so we'll look at Thursday or Friday for a podcast. Also an update because I know everyone out there is wanting to hear how Tom Parada did in his U.S. Open playoffs out in Flushing Meadows. Tom won his first round match. Yeah, uh, how? How did he win? Tell the tell, tell <laughs> listeners. Come on. Okay, it was by default. But Tom is actually playing his second match now as we uh, speak. And we hope uh, we wish Tom all the best. And we will get a full report from him when he is back in the office. And uh, until then, with Pete Bodo and Steve Tigner, I'm James Martin. We'll talk to you later this week. You've been enjoying Tennis.com's weekly podcast. Thanks for listening. For all the latest news and events, head over to Tennis.com.